Hey, this is Gavin Jackson, host of the South Carolina Lead, telling you that we're kicking off our summer look at quote-unquote interesting stuff. Yes, if you've been a long-time Lead listener, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. Second of all, you know this time of year, there seems to be more going on in our personal lives than in the news cycle. I'm talking vacations, and this year, a new project that has taken up some of our time. So instead of leaving you all hanging, we put together several discussions with folks you know, and some you don't, but they all have insightful things to say on an array of topics that we'll explore over the coming weeks. Now for our first episode, someone who needs no introduction, though I wouldn't be much of a host if I didn't introduce this person. Other Gavin, take it away. Okay, first up in our summer series is our good friend, a pod ride or die, one of the state's best. I'm talking Meg Kennard with the Associated Press. She's an AP politics reporter based here in Columbia. Meg is joining us for an update on the state of the 2022 governor's race. And she's also live in studio, folks. You'll hear her voice in just a second. But folks, we're talking the 2022 campaign trail. No one is safe here. Sure, the primaries to determine each party's nominee aren't for another 10 months. Nevertheless, we already have several declared candidates, and there are plenty of known unknowns and unknown unknowns. So let's look at them now with Meg. Hello, Meg. You're in studio. Welcome to the pod. I think you've been here before. It's I have good been to here see before. You. It's been a minute. It feels really good and a little strange yeah. to be back in the studio, but I'm here for it. Great, great. Um, so like we said, 10 months away from the primary and more than a year until Election Day, obviously. Uh, Didn't we just get off a campaign trail? I feel like we did. I feel like that just ended um, (laughs) moments ago. And now here we are on on another one. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Yes, the magic of it all. So since you're not breathlessly covering these candidates yet, what has your coverage been? Tell me about who is in this race already. So far on the Republican side, we have Governor McMaster, Mm -hmm. who is generally just doing his thing as governor, um, not really campaigning super actively, sending out some fundraising emails. But not tons of things. There is another Republican who has filed, Mm -hmm. Mindy Steele. We haven't seen a whole lot from her lately that may be to come. But that's what we have on the Republican side. On the Democratic side of things, there are several candidates, some of whom are actively campaigning. Among them, Joe Cunningham, who announced his candidacy in April. Everyone might remember him, former first district congressman who lost his reelect last year but is now seeking the Democratic nomination, as well as State Senator Mia McLeod, who represents parts of the Midlands area here where we are. She announced her candidacy last month. And also party activist Gary Vautour has announced his candidacy and he's been appearing at some events. And he's actually been in the race for quite some time, um, but we haven't really seen a whole lot from him thus far. Mm -hmm. So stakes have already been put in the ground. We're seeing some activity happening. And we just saw the first round of fundraising numbers come out. Too. I want to talk to you about what was raised in that second quarter between April, May, and June. Uh, there were fluctuations, of course, because like you said, people announced at different times. The governor's been in the race you know, since day one, essentially. He's always been fundraising here and there. Can you tell us what we saw in these halls, what, what these numbers stand out, what they mean to you at this point? We saw a quite significant number from Governor McMaster. He pulled in $891,000 in the second quarter of this year. But he also has more than $1.5 million. I think it's around $1.7 million mm-hmm. cash on hand yeah, at this point. Yeah, that's some cash money. That's a lot of money. But yeah. it also shows us that he's not really spending it on his campaign. He doesn't need doesn't to. Doesn't need to. He doesn't have much of a primary going on right now. But he knows that he might at some point and definitely will have a general election to contend with. So he's mm-hmm. kind of just sitting on that cash for now. 
We saw Joe Cunningham bringing in $642,000, which was a record for a Democratic challenger in their debut fundraising quarter. Mm -hmm. He surpassed what Vincent Shaheen brought in in one of his previous runs. So that's a significant number for the Democrats. But we also saw Cunningham has $427,000 on hand, which means he's spending it. Mm -hmm. He's actively out. He's campaigning. He's been touring all 46 counties. I forget exactly how many he's been to at this point. But he is out and about, and he's holding events. He's having policy proposal rollouts. Senator McLeod brought in $104,000. But she also has almost all of that still on hand, which shows us just by doing the math, and I know we're journalists, we're not supposed to do math, <laughs> but just by doing that simple subtraction shows us that she's spent very little of that. Yeah, Maybe not as much on staff, certainly not out doing much campaigning, at least that I've seen or mm-hmm. been aware of. Um, so, you know, she's still in the fundraising portion, I guess, of yeah. getting her campaign together. And I know you mentioned some of those other candidates, uh, but obviously <clears> these guys are the big ones that we're focusing on right now, big money coming in here. Is it all about the money, Meg? Is there more to life than just money? I mean, I know it can, <laughs> I know it can buy me a boat, but can it buy sure. you this race? I mean, I know 2020 had some lessons for us, too. Yeah, it sure couldn't buy you the Senate seat, <laughs> at least from what we saw in the Lindsey Graham-Jamie Harrison race. But money is the only indicator that we really have at this point that shows us activity from both parties. Mm-hmm. Again, as you noted, we're still a long way out from even the primary elections in this race. But the money is something that we as journalists track because it does show us what kind of campaigns these candidates are putting together and what they're doing with the money they do bring in. Um, like I said, you know, Joe Cunningham is spending his money, but that's what we expect candidates to do. I've had plenty of candidates tell me that you know, if they end their quarter with the same amount that they brought in, well, that's not generally the best thing because, you know, they need to be building up infrastructure, building a ground game, pulling together some grassroots activity. Again, we're super early, but when you're seeing one campaign very actively doing that, then that can be an indicator of a lot of things. But for Mm -hmm. us, it kind of lets us forecast a little bit as to, you know, what we were probably going to see over the next couple of months. Yeah. And it's also gives them room to brag as well to these candidates. I mean, the Absolutely. governor talked about he had like the most number of donors, I guess, that any mm-hmm. governor has seen when they're going for re-election, like 3,700. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember even back early on when Joe announced, Joe Cunningham announced, and his campaign came out with numbers saying they raised $400,000 in the first 48 hours. I mean, mm-hmm. these are big points of pride that, you know, really help build momentum. Is that really just the whole name of the game at this point right now is really trying to get that momentum, getting that name recognition going at this point. It really does help them, as you say. And and this is something that I've noted a lot in the past about fundraising numbers as well as polling data. For us, it you know, we can try to read into it as much as we can, but both of those things are something on which candidates can brag when mm-hmm. they're trying to get even more money, which really is what enables them to have the, the kind of ground game presence that every campaign will tell you they really have to have, especially in a statewide race. So particularly on the Democratic side of things, I think that, that those bragging points are what you're going to see Joe Cunningham use when he's trying to activate donors across the country. Yeah. Because there is only a limited amount of donor dollars, especially, especially on the Democratic Democrats. side yeah. <laughs> here in South Carolina. And that's something that Jamie Harrison very successfully activated during his campaign. And so I would imagine that particularly in statewide races, that's something that we're going to see Democratic candidates doing here, too. Yeah. And it won't hurt having that Jamie Harrison connection at the national level, too, at the DNC. So <laughs> we'll see. Our we'll, listeners yeah. might know Jamie Harrison happens to be the chairman of the DNC. DNC right now, yeah. so he he might be a little helpful down the line. Yeah, after we get through the primaries and they start picking sides. Meg, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the Democrats. You know, obviously their campaigns are revving up, uh, and before they can challenge the Republican nominee, which right now is looking like McMaster, obviously things can change. There sure. are unknown unknowns, like we said. 
but they need to win that nomination. So what are we seeing right now in terms of campaigning, specifically from Joe Cunningham and Mia McLeod, the two uh, big names in this Democratic race? As I noted, we've seen Joe Cunningham touring the state. He's been to many counties. He's having mostly kind of meet and greet sort of events, but he knows he needs to develop statewide name ID. Mm-hmm. He's very well known in the low country, which he represented in Congress in in one term, but in two very active campaigns down there. But he still needs to really get the name recognition in other parts of the state. So we're seeing him do that. We're also seeing him roll up policy proposals. Two notable ones are one related to guns, and then most recently, his plan to legalize marijuana across South Carolina. We've seen that on his side. From Senator McLeod, we haven't seen that kind of activity. Part of that could be because she doesn't have the cash necessary to really mount a lot of those types of big events. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, when I wrote a piece, um, as many of us covered, the rollout of Cunningham's marijuana plan, Mm -hmm. and I, I was posting that on Twitter, and I got a lot of feedback from people who were saying that, you know, well, you're paying all this attention to Joe Cunningham, and all I see is coverage of Joe Cunningham, and that's unfair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, people criticizing the media, which I guess is all of us, maybe just me, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I fielded a lot of criticism from folks who said that the coverage was lopsided and Uh that Joe Cunningham was, you know, just really getting so much fawning attention. And... I had to laugh at some of that because at to that point, I had written exactly one piece yeah. on Joe Cunningham and one piece on Mia McLeod. Yeah. She invited me to her hometown of Bennettsville ahead of her rollout. We spent an entire day together. Yeah, a big piece that you put together for her launch. It was a big piece. And so I was kind of confused as to how any of that had been uneven yeah. because I'd, I'd really only done one. Um, I also did some math, which, again, journalists struggle with sometimes. But at that point, since each of their launches, the Cunningham campaign had put out, to my count, more than two dozen news releases hmm. advising us of events that he was holding, particularly on this 46-county tour, yeah. but some other things, including his policy proposals. The McLeod campaign, since her own launch, <clears throat> had put out two news releases one about her launch, and then one, a statement in reaction to Joe Cunningham's marijuana rollout. So you could say that your coverage wasn't even relative to the amount of news that was coming out of the campaign. If anything, we should have been writing more about <laughs> yeah. Cunningham because he was letting us know what he was doing and mm-hmm. he was holding his own events. Senator McLeod, from my looking on Facebook and other places where she posts information, has been attending some events hosted by other people and hosted by local parties and local groups. Mm-hmm. She apparently did one event of her own that I never received a news release about. Maybe I somehow got dropped off the list, but, you know, it didn't seem to have been advised. And one of the things that we saw in terms of this criticism, too, was some surrogates for the McLeod campaign, Mm -hmm. including former state representative Mandy Powers Norell, who was part of her launch um, and has advocated for Senator McLeod thus far you know, saying these same things about the media and the coverage. And I think, yeah, a lot of that was around uh, the ma- the, med- the marijuana. So right. the this discussion all about the medical around... marijuana in the, in the state house versus the legalization of marijuana for recreational purposes. That's right. That Joe Cunningham was rolling out, saying that, why didn't you cover her, her the same way? And her, right. you know, her co-sponsorship, which is different, co-sponsoring a bill is way different than being A, a sponsor of a bill, right. or B, rolling out a policy item specifically tackling that situation. For sure. And if if the McLeod campaign or anybody else had pitched me or another journalist, hey, we're going to have this rollout, of course we would have written that. Mm -hmm. That's how we get our stories because when campaigns come to us and they have these ideas of of stories, well, sure, you know, we'd be happy to do that. And, you know, 
Mandy Powers Durrell knows that because when she and James Smith launched their bid and when they formally announced that they were going to be a ticket going into the Democratic gubernatorial piece of the 2018 governor's Mm -hmm. race, she and James Smith came to my house and we did our sit down interview, our exclusive at my dining room table because I couldn't time wise make it work to get to them because I had other plans. But they came to me and, you know, we put together that piece and everybody understood, you know, that was the same kind of thing. It was pitched and this is momentous. Um, Especially because your work, Meg, as being with AP helps get that message out to a lot more people than maybe just one individual news outlet does. Absolutely. We roll it out to all members across the state at the same time. And so, as I've said a million times before, that helps not only major newspapers um, in bigger cities, but it also helps the smaller members because they might not have the bandwidth to be able to even write off a news release for everything. But, you know, that's that's exactly why we're there. And so that Mm -hmm. is why a lot of campaigns will come to us for stuff like that. So... A little bit of a tint tat right there. Early on in this in this campaign mm-hmm. right now, people are already kind of jumping on the media for uh, perceived uneven coverage when, in fact, you're just covering the news as it's happening. Right. And as, um, as we get notified about it. Yeah. And I mean, Meg, tell me a little bit more before we switch gears and look at the Republican side of the field. But you know, when it comes to covering politics in this state, specifically campaign politics, yes, it, it becomes breathless. Yes, sometimes people think that you're covering more can- one candidate than the other. Uh, a lot of this is based on momentum and on, you know, how they're campaigning, of course. But what obligations are you under to say, hey, um, Joe Cunningham's talking about legalizing recreational marijuana. What what obligations do you have to say other people's stances on this? Do you have to include Governor McMaster's stance? Do you have to include me and McLeod's stance? How do you juggle this in a, in a news story for people that don't understand how story structure works for, for news? Sure. Sometimes not every single voice like that is going to make it into a single piece. Mm -hmm. But it is my goal as a political reporter to ensure that I am telling as comprehensive of a story about the issue of for debate as I can. And that very well might mean writing several pieces over the course of a campaign, not necessarily on every single issue, devoting a single story to each candidate, but at least at some point ensuring that I wrap in as many policy proposals that we know about, that we're aware of. And that is, of course, should be the goal of anybody who's writing about politics. But for me, I find that to be pretty much mandatory at some point. But it's not necessarily going to be in every single piece, yeah. um, you know, as we go through the campaign. And again, still very early. Uh, it's very not even after early. Labor Day yet. I mean, <laughs> and that's, you know, Labor Day going into the primary season right. uh, when people really kind of start paying more attention. We're not breathlessly covering Joe Cunningham in every 46 county tour that he's doing. Uh, there's still time for all that stuff to happen throughout the year. But going forward, Meg, you know, there were three Democrats running for governor in 2018, James Smith, Marguerite Willis, Phil Noble. Uh, James Smith won that outright. Do we expect to see anyone else jump in this race at this point? I mean, uh, what, what's the advantage of trying to run for this position at this point, especially in a state like South Carolina, where, you know, the odds are not good. They're not really yeah. in your favor as a Democrat statewide. Um, do we see anyone else kind of jumping in this race to maybe get more of their name out there instead of perhaps actually try to win? There have always been, um, throughout the course of the last couple of years since the last governor's race, other names that have been bandied about on the Democratic side of things. We've heard about Steve Benjamin at certain points. Um, He has said that he's not going to be doing that. Um, But you're right. You know, there are different folks who get into these kinds of races sometimes just to elevate their profiles, maybe for something else. So there is plenty of time that we could still see some other Democrat get into this race. 
Um, but when you y- see these numbers being thrown around for fundraising, too, does that maybe scare anyone off it who's might. even thinking about that? It very well too? might. That yeah. is very daunting. And I think also, particularly in the wake of the Senate race that we all lived through in 2020, yes, this is different. This is a governor's race, but still. The amount of money that went into that race and still with Democrats not being able to pull it off and losing by the same relative margin that yeah. statewide Democrats have lost to Republicans here for going on decades now. Yeah. That is very daunting to anyone who's really trying to make a serious run at the Democratic statewide nomination for just about any seat at this point. Hmm. A lot to handle right there if you're a Democrat going statewide. And lots of math we've <laughs> just talked well, about. You, I didn't mean to do that. You're a good reporter for math, though. You have the math brain. <laughs> I do like that. Uh, but let's switch to the Republican field, Meg. In 2018, McMaster was running for his first full term following Nikki Haley's resignation to be UN ambassador uh, in January 2017. We saw five candidates in that primary field. Um, obviously, you know, it went into a runoff between upstate businessman John Warren and McMaster. Then we saw then-President Donald Trump come down here, campaign for the governor, help push him over in that runoff to become the nominee. Uh, governor got reelected easily. Are you expecting to see anything like this happen again, Meg? Obviously, maybe not, you know, a five-candidate field, but do we expect to see maybe John Warren, who gave the governor a run for his money in 2018, to jump back in? Or Yeah, John Warren has yet to really make his intentions and his plans clear. He has mm-hmm. been, um, for the last couple of months, running a political action committee that did have some success in terms of knocking off some Democrats in the state house. Yeah. the last go-around. So he has been working on that. But again, as we see with presidential candidates, oftentimes in statewide issues, too, we see someone starting a PAC that gives them a fundraising vehicle and then ultimately can help them when they launch their own campaign later on down the road. I wrote about that when John Warren did roll out his PAC last year. So we're not quite sure exactly what he's going to do, but we do need to remember that back to the 2018 race, he yeah. was a fairly late entrant into yeah. that primary as well. And a political newcomer in general, too. That's I mean, right. no one really, he was an unknown commodity, essentially. Right. And he did use that time to introduce himself. and A lot of his own money. A lot yeah. of his own money to do that. So... Yes, it's always possible that he could be getting into this race, and we could see other folks too. But now that Governor McMaster has won his mm-hmm. own term on his own right, that was a lot of the what was the debate in the GOP primary of 2018, that this guy just ended up in this job. Yeah, he's been elected to stuff before, and he was elected lieutenant governor, but you know this guy just ended up as governor because Nikki Haley left. Well, he won his own term yeah. on his his own of his own right, yeah. and now he's running for a second full term. And so I think that some of those same arguments that were made again. Against Governor McMaster in the 2018 race, don't really hold water this go around. Like the governor said, you don't switch quarterbacks midway through. Right? He has said that a few times, <laughs> just a few times. Uh, we'll probably hear it again if there is a challenge, of course, or you know, just in the general, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, going back to John Warren and that pack you're talking about, it seems like he was pretty effective in helping knock off some people uh, in the Senate specifically and also in the State House in general when it came to fundraising and, and putting that money towards those candidates. It seems like a little bit more power to be behind the scenes than it would be to be in the governor's mansion. I would think if I was, you know, a, a millionaire. I would that'd think be, so. That'd be the way to run things, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems that you can really have a lot of influence, yeah. even, you know, in, in terms of those races, working behind the scenes and helping direct money in ways that you would prefer mm-hmm. and obviously your donors would buy into as well. Meg, keeping up with the governor, have we seen him make any drastic moves or changes in his first term? Or has he been operating kind of since day one that he might have a challenger after that whole, you know, that was just a really rough and tumble primary that he had to go through to win? I mean, uh, there were times during the pandemic response last year where there'd be moments where I'm like, "Mm, he's really saying and doing these things because he wants to, you know, prevent any attacks from his right, whether it's, you know, masking, whether it's telling uh, kids to get back to school, teachers to get back to school. 
um, the vaccine rollout, letting Mm -hmm. parents opt out of their students having to wear masks in school, uh, you know, lifting the federal unemployment benefits. A lot of these different things, you know, and just, of course, attacking the Democratic administration, which every governor loves to do in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, as attorney general, did a lot to the Obama administration. You know, going to the southern border, you know, um, all these different things. Is that just McMaster doing these things, but it's also pseudo campaigning? Or how do you interpret his actions over the past few years? It is really advantageous for someone who's already in an office that they would like to occupy again to Mm -hmm. be able to kind of do that subtle campaigning in their official role. You're absolutely right that I think some of the telegraphing that we saw from the governor during the pandemic and the state's response to it was perhaps intended to obviate, to get rid of, Mm -hmm. to nullify some potential criticism that he could have fielded from more conservative sides. Many Republicans in this state, the governor, Senator Graham included, are, I think, always cognizant that there could be a far-right criticism or challenger coming for them. And so, you know, perhaps they're not even just subconsciously, but consciously trying to ensure that they're considering that when they're doing things like, you know, enforcing or deciding not to have a mask mandate or many of the other things that the governor did during the pandemic. Yeah. And then you can also get on Fox News and that helps get your profile out there, too. And you can fundraise like we saw Senator Graham doing. Yeah. uh, The Republicans have win red, just like the Democrats have act blue. Yeah. An easy way to get that national money, too. Um, okay, so as for the unknown unknowns, look into your crystal ball first, Meg. I know you have it. You are the media. They know what's <laughs> going to happen media. next. <laughs> We're planning out what the news will be. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you envision having the next few months on the trail going forward? Obviously, we can talk about, you know, you have some personal issues you're dealing with, too. But what do you see? What are we going to be following? What are you going to be looking for the next few months going in uh, to the June primaries? Obviously, 10 months away, but still initially right now? I think we're going to see a lot more fundraising Mm -hmm. on all sides. Um, You know, we get the emails that are always and not necessarily to a specific fundraiser. We just need $5 by midnight, Meg. Right. Yeah, just we've got this <laughs> this issue. We just need your 10 bucks. Um, but we are going to see a lot of that because I think that the October, the third quarter numbers are really going to be a little bit more of an apples to apples comparison okay. given that in the previous quarter we had candidates getting in at different times. Yeah. And so not necessarily having the same chunk of three months to measure. So for those of us who are trying to look at that kind of data to figure out where campaigns are, that is something that they're going to be doing. The governor is certainly going to continue to amass his war chest and to put his money together. Again, who knows when he'll really begin to need to use it. Yeah. That could happen later next year if he doesn't end up with a primary. But there will be a lot of money that is sought by all campaigns because they know that whenever all of them are actively campaigning, They can't do that without cash, Mm -hmm. and so they'll be looking for that. Yeah, again, another uh, incumbent advantage there where the governor – you know, just going doing going about his schedule. You know, economic development mm-hmm. announcements, any any press conference here, any gaggle there, just gets an automatic headline more or less than what some of his challenges are having to muster. So all of those are pieces that he can point to to yeah. say, "Look, this is what I did." Mm-hmm. And now, Meg, uh, you're casually wedging in cancer treatments here <laughs> <laughs> between these two campaign trails, like we've been talking about. You know, the 2020, then getting diagnosed in February, and then obviously this, you know, ramping up too. What's what's going on with you? What's the latest with you? Uh, I know Victoria Hansen just did a piece with you mm-hmm. updating the situation, but uh, give us a little update for people that are paying attention to this. Sure. By the time that people are hearing this, I will have completed chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. As we are talking, I will have my final treatment tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I'll be done with that portion of things. And um, while this is, when this is airing, I'll actually be in Texas okay. at MD Anderson 
for an entire week of scans, appointments, all the hopefully pre-surgical things that you do when you've finished chemotherapy treatment but are awaiting surgery. Okay. So that's the next step for me is planning for that. And at that point, that's when I'll be in Texas for several months to have surgery and then radiation and hopefully working as much as I can that whole time because, you know, somebody's got to keep tabs on these campaigns. And <laughs> yeah. I may not be in the state, but that doesn't mean I'm not paying attention. Yeah. But you're doing great so far at this time. I mean, everything's yeah. progressing in a good way at this point. Yeah, I'm feeling really good. I've been, um, thankfully, since I don't have a ton of side effects from chemo, I've been able to work out yeah. um, many times, twice a day, just really trying to build muscle because cancer hates that. Mm-hmm. And also focusing in really hard on my diet and keeping track of, you know, everything that, that goes into this body that is hopefully a good vessel for the medicine that I'm getting. Mm-hmm. So that's, I feel good. Yeah. Well, we are here for you, Meg. And if you haven't listened to Victoria Hansen's latest piece on Meg's cancer journey, check it out on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. We are all in on getting Meg through this. We are <laughs> here with you. you. And I'm sure there will be a pot or two from Houston in September, maybe, if I'm down there hanging Sounds out with like you. Sounds like a plan to me. Let's we go on the road. Up- <laughs> yeah. Not our most ideal campaign trip, but, you know, nevertheless. <laughs> That's okay. We make it work. Yes. Well, Meg, thank you for joining us, and we'll be keeping up with you. Good to be back. Thank you. Other Gavin, thank you, always. And, of course, again, thanks to the AP's Meg Kennard and our listeners. Love you all. Hope you enjoy these going forward. And of course, stay tuned. We've got some more upcoming episodes as we continue our summer listening series. Mm, yeah. The Amish Daughter. You know, like all those.